Greetings and salutations to our fine podcast audience. Yeah, that that wasn't good, Ed. So we were talking before we recorded about how uh, the one thing that was missing from this podcast was music, and Ed decided he was going to add some. It sounded like a mixture of Baker Street and the old CBS <laughs> Nightly News. I was thinking like circus tent music. Yeah. Well, the at the end, was, the, the end, I did go to circus to tent music. You're oh, exactly, at boy. least that part was recognizable. Was. And the first part was a little bit of Baker Street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, Somebody posted the other day that they said something about what's one song you that always gets you Psyched, and it was on Facebook. So I and remember. somebody put Baker Street, and, and yeah, and it's someone who it's. I all I remember is it is someone who goes to our church, and I don't remember who you are. So if you're listening to this, you just got to know Baker Street is not a hype song. <laughs> no one ever goes. You know what I need to get started is a real smooth jazz <laughs> solo, right? There. <laughs> Unless the the Foo Fighters have a version of Baker Street, where which it's is done with guitars, and it's amazing. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. So maybe yeah. that's what you meant. Google that. Listen I think to that it. is it's not Jerry what I was. Rafferty, right? Yeah, yeah, Jerry Rafferty. Jerry Rafferty. Right. Yeah. My dad had the cassette tape when I grew up. I also up. had that cassette tape because I was a member of Columbia House where you would get things we sent to you that you, that you would forget it. to tell them to I send. And sending it back House. was ridiculous. <laughs> yes. So all of that being said, we're going to work on having some theme music next Producer week. Producer Joel's going to work on yeah. getting theme. We're not going to let we're not going to let Ed do anything with the theme. Dang music. it, no. We're, I think Joel. that's wise. That's yeah. going to be. I done think with. that was a wise I thing. Mean, we'll see how wise done. what Joel's choice is. Although we won't hear it until post production. We won't. <laughs> and I probably won't ever. Hear I probably it. won't. <laughs> Which means we'll once, never hear it. Once I, I say I, things, in I should here, also I should also say I won't hear it. I'll never go back and listen to it. Maybe we should. Yeah, maybe we should. Maybe maybe I should know what I'm saying. Okay. I don't know. All right. So we got nothing worse to me than me watching me. No, me neither. Yeah. Me, you watching me is awesome. Oh, <laughs> well, anybody watching I meant me? But yeah, you too. I don't know. Okay. So are we ready to jump into this? All right. We're gonna jump in. Jump. We, we here we go. That could be our thing. No, music. don't. <laughs> no, I, I saw that coming. I saw you were about to go there. When Van Halen you. decided they needed a keyboard. Yes. I know. <laughs> what what was that thinking? about? We have the best guitar player in the world. Let's do a synth solo. Yeah, let's do. <laughs> are we done? Where are we? Okay. Now we're, now we're on to Eddie this. you know Eddie played oh, the keyboard? Not done. <laughs> I think so. I, I think he, he also did. I think he, I think he did. did, too. I was going to say that. He also does the solo on Michael uh, Jackson's beat. All right, let's yeah. just assume this was all cut. No. <laughs> you can hear if you – it's all one take. You can hear him open the door right before he walks in to play the solo. Really? They leave that on the track. You can hear him open the door. He had never played it. It's one of those, like, great – who knows how true it yeah. is stories. But It's a great story. It's though. a great story that they're just pl- – he, he walks in, Michael Jackson's playing things. He's like, go, go write a solo. And he just – you hear him open the door. He picks up a guitar. He plays – which is now a very classic oh, solo, yeah. Oh, yeah. and then he's like, "That's it. That's all we." All need right, to we're do. gonna wow. close the door now. You can go on home. That's right. Now we're done. He was. You and Valerie Bettinelli have fun. That's right. <laughs> all right, here we go. All right, we have a couple of questions that we're gonna get to today. Serious questions. Oh, Ooh, so, not know. Van Halen really. No, no, <laughs> no. Okay. All right. So first question that was sent in to us uh, was this. And, and I would imagine this is someone who's following along with our current series and it hears us talking about this uh, a, a few times, and it's re- raised a question in their mind. So, if there is one, what is a Christian's role in the world of politics? Hmm. That's a good question. Yes. 
sermons. What, what we've been dealing with. Well, what I'd say is go back and listen to the last four <laughs> sermons. Uh, yeah. Maybe they have, and, yeah, and they want right. us they to go a little bit more specific. That would be my uh, my take on it. I think the first role of Christians in every area, so mm. I don't think politics is really that different than home life or anything else, and maybe this goes to my sermon on Sunday. Maybe this is why was, my, my brain is stuck, but I think our main priority in everything is uh, adva- living in and advancing the kingdom of God, meaning Jesus' priorities in the world. And so I don't think that changes much when it comes to my role in politics. Like there may be things that I'm, I'm involved with, but it also may be that I realize in certain ways that I'm involved in politics, it is actually detracting or taking away from my loyalty to King Jesus, that mm. I become so invested in the kingdom of politics Mm. that I am beginning to rely on and depend on and trust in that. So I think that's an important caveat that should always be Mm kind of weighed. But I think the role of a Christian is first in every environment. So in my home life, when I go home with my kids and I'm sitting with my kids, it's not how do I want, how do I want them to behave or what would I like the rhythm of my family be, but how can I bring the kingdom of God to them Mm. through my life? Yeah. Right, which often does include things like discipline and rules and boundaries. I mean, that's all an important part of it. But those those should not be motivated as I really want kids who read every day, or you know, which oh, those are very important things often to me. I'm like, I really want kids who can be involved in reading and all those kind of things. And if my motivation is this is better for my lifestyle or it says something better about me as a parent. That's not the correct motivation. My motivation should be, how can I share the kingdom with them? Mm. And I think similarly in politics, whether it's a political discussion or when it comes to if I choose to vote or not to vote or to be involved in those things, my motivation should come out of what would King Jesus have me do? What would bring the kingdom of God into this sphere? Mm -hmm. And we probably have to have other discussions maybe in particulars, but I also think particulars often involve particularly you like I think it's not the same for every individual person on that but I think that motivation is is a key part of that Mm -hmm. I I think for me when I first knew we were going to talk about this question the thing that first blush hit me is uh allegiances which goes to the same thing that that word particularly who do I owe allegiance to and um so for every follower of Christ, there can be no higher allegiance than mm-hmm. Jesus. Yes. Yes. There's a old Dutch philosopher who also was a politician, Abraham Kuyper. Uh, he preacher, philosopher, and politician, and he he's the one. I just this phrase has always stu- stuck with me. He said, "There is no moment in time nor space on this planet that Jesus is not saying that's mine." Mm. Yeah. Every spot Jesus is, everything on this planet Jesus is claiming, that that is mine too. So for the Christian, that's the highest allegiance. And then for me, so the way I tend to think of things for me is I've got this, uh, so we'll put that if I, again, I'm thinking of a funnel. The last thing in my funnel, the bottom level foundation before anything comes out of me should be, I'm going to run that through the filter of Jesus. Now, right above that for me is an allegiance I made to my wife. She is second for mm. me. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I made an allegiance 40 years ago that until one of us is dead, that's a primary relationship for me. Yes. Then we had kids. That's a primary, those are mm-hmm. primary relationships for me. Um, 
so politics comes way back. So allegiance to country, mm-hmm. allegiance to a party, mm-hmm. allegiance to the government. And unfortunately, I think, and we've been talking in this series, is people had, I think people have separated more than we would love, like to acknowledge that there are, there's a spiritual part, religious part of my life, and then there's a life part of my life, a real life, life, Mm -hmm. what we would have called a secular part of my life. Here's the non-religious part of my life. So politics and school and career and uh, how I do sexuality, those are this part of my life. And then there's the religious part of my life. And you don't have but one life. That's right. And my allegiances are what determine uh, how I live. It's, uh, again, the first time I had that brought clear to me was when I first became a Christian. I met this wild guy named Rich Mullins who became somewhat of a friend. We weren't super close, uh, but he was quite quite talented musician but he had lots of other struggles and he was the first person that made clear he would not pledge allegiance to anybody but Jesus when people would Mm -hmm. uh, he just he felt it was wrong for anybody to have any allegiance once you had made an allegiance to Jesus you were mocking everybody else if you said I swear allegiance to you he goes Mm -hmm. well well, not really yeah you know he just sort of make fun of it and I can remember him he has a song that lots of people have heard where he takes the Apostles' Creed, and in it he goes, I didn't make these things, they are making me. Mm-hmm. And my allegiances in life are ultimately what mm-hmm. make me what I am. Yeah. Right. What comes out of me, ultimately you can see what I am loyal to mm-hmm. by what comes out of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's yeah. the way I th- – so what's my role in politics? It's somewhere in – uh, up above that, Jesus is my primary allegiance. My wife is next to that. My kids are next to that. And, you know, the old phrase, Jesus, others, you, joy. Politics is somewhere in the you category, <laughs> but it 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 has to still run through the Jesus filter. Well, and I think if, if people who show, which I think you said this, Nathan, if, if someone were to feel called into that world, oh, yeah. I, I, I would hope that that person called into politics would start with that as a foundation and say, Jesus is my ultimate allegiance. Now, how do I bring the kingdom into this role that I feel led by God to play? And I I think, and this is what I said in my message a couple of weeks ago, if we had more people who were like that, who who viewed their life through that filter that you just described, Ed, I think it would make our political world a better one. Yes, I yeah. agree with that. And so I think that, that there does, I would never say to a person that Christians ought to stay out of it. No. I think we need to bring the kingdom to every sphere of life, and so we're going to need some followers of Jesus to do that. And yeah. I would never say to somebody like, I have a really good friend, I know is also a friend of both your all's, mm-hmm. that he early on said to me, he was part of our staff, and he said, I don't vote. I don't mm-hmm. feel like I can yeah. do it in my allegiance to Jesus. Well, I'm not one to say to him, man, you're a bad citizen because right. you don't right. vote. Yeah. That's a him and Jesus kind of thing. Yeah. And he felt he was fully living out Jesus is my ultimate allegiance, right. and uh, everything else is taken away, for, taking away from that. So I would, what's a Christian role in politics? It's it's I so I, I I tried to write a statement. And I was going to bring it in. I think it's it's uh, I think when Christians have done it well, unless you were serving in it like Abraham Kuyper or 
Uh, James Garfield, who's one of our presidents, was an ordained minister in mm-hmm. the independent Christian church, like mm-hmm. like us. Yes, we are. He was he was that, and uh, he sort of got drafted to be president. Didn't really, and and so he became president and got shot <laughs> while doing yeah. it. He saw it as a service to Jesus to mm-hmm. do right. that mm-hmm. kind of thing that I could see taking place. Um, I I would. What I think for most of us, we have to, we often have to, in our democratic government, we have to serve as loyal opposition. Yeah. Yeah. Because we really are representing, we are ambassadors not of the United States. We are citizens first of the kingdom of God. And so everything I have to say about the government of the United States is representing a different kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, yes, mm-hmm. and a different, and I think that's a good way of saying it, because the thing I, I would just challenge people to is wrestle with it. Yeah. Allow yourself to wrestle with what your role is in the sense of my first allegiance is to King Jesus. And mm-hmm. so let's take kingdom of God out of it for a second. If you were an American citizen living in another foreign country, you might participate in whatever way you could, but you would understand there are certain parts of this life I can't participate in, or I may choose not to participate in, or some Americans may participate in, but I don't necessarily participate in. And so as you talked about, of like with voting, there are some believers in Jesus who are part of the kingdom, and they say, you know, part of my allegiance to the kingdom of God means I don't vote. Or some citizens of the kingdom may say, part of my allegiance means I do vote, and I do make my voice heard. And I think the struggle in that, I just had a conversation with someone today who had talked about maybe I'm not going to vote. And hmm. they said, people are telling me I'm a bad American. And I said, maybe that does make you a bad well, American. Yeah. But it, but since your reason is you think King Jesus wants you not to, mm-hmm. then that means it makes you a good citizen of the kingdom. Mm. Not that that makes everyone a good citizen. It may be different because in the end, Jesus does lead us in different he might call someone into politics. Whatever is not of faith is of sin. Yes. Right. So anything that I'm doing because my somebody said, man, every good citizen does this right. and this, well, I can easily say I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's mm-hmm. my ultimate allegiance, and every good citizen of the kingdom of God listens to their king. Yes. Well, and if your, and if your uh, allegiances or allegiance to Jesus never puts you at odds with the government, mm-hmm. I think maybe you ought to check your allegiance I agree. because sure. I think that at some point in ev- history of every government or every nation, there are conflicts with the kingdom of God. And so yeah. we should always, we should always, no matter what party you're a part of, if you don't at, at, at least sometimes feel that that that's, that's conflicting with the kingdom values, then we, our values have probably migrated you know, one thing I thought was interesting when you brought this up, and I thought this morning because I knew this question was coming up, remember this, and then you okay. reminded me Good. of it. I'm reading in Colossians today, um, and in Colossians 2, there's a part where Paul is talking about, first he starts in Colossians 1 by talking about all this. Jesus has been made king. He's the one who has given authority. Now, often mm-hmm. we take that as, so you better do exactly what they say. What mm-hmm. he was actually saying to them is, hey, you know these people who think they have authority over you? King Jesus is over them. He's yes. the one who granted yeah. them the yes. authority. So I know they're the ones killing you right now, and they <laughs> think they're winning the day. King Jesus has that under mm-hmm. control because they thought they killed him too. Mm-hmm. Which is what Jesus said to Pilate. You would have no authority yes. if it wasn't right. given to you. And, yeah, you're going. You're not taking my life. I'm, I'm laying it down. 
And, and that's what Paul's telling them. You just lay your life down if King Jesus tells you to. And then in Colossians 2, he gets this part where he talks about on the cross, Jesus stripped the armor away mm-hmm. from the powers. And what he's really talking about is there is this nature within world governments. I mean, are just like the kingdom of the world and world powers to convince us Everything we've done has been for the good of people, right? We have these kind of myths, even as Americans, that we go, everything we've done has been good and righteous, and we are where we are because God's hand is on us. And what he said is the Roman government killed Jesus legally. Mm -hmm. They legally did it, and by doing this, what Jesus did was strip away that armor of they would claim they had this thing called the Pax Romana, which meant the the, the peace of peace Rome. Of but the peace of Rome came with Roman soldiers coming in and and stomping on people and doing that. Mm-hmm. And what Jesus did was strip that away and say, "That's not peace. Mm, right. This is what peace looks like. Mm-hmm. You laying your life down for someone else." And there is a humility in that, as we talked about in Sunday. And there's this thing. So I think when we talk about our allegiances in this. The allegiance to the the kingdom of God will put us at odds with the powers of the, at must. some point because always the kingdoms of this world must use some kind of domination mm-hmm. to make things happen and there's a level in what we have to be as followers of Jesus to go it's not our job to dominate people mm-hmm. and so at some point it's in some form in some way we will be put at odds but that's okay yeah and and and, and as as long as king, if the kingdoms of this world were aligned with the kingdom of God, then we'd be done. Yeah. So they're never yeah, going to be that way until Jesus comes and ultimately back. ushers it in. And so up until that point, we must provide the conscience of our nation, the conscience sure. of our government, the conscience of every institution and power and principality that is in this world to say, no, the kingdom of God is here. And, and we're bringing this into the system. and So you can use your voice. That's another absolutely. way to talk about your role. Use absolutely. your voice. Voice dissent, voice support for mm-hmm. things that you think do reflect the kingdom of Even God. Even to people you, you agree with 80% of. I think yes. the yes. loyal opposition is I yes. voted for people, but when they're wrong, I, they're wrong. And, and they're it's okay to wrong. say that. I would say that to anybody I cared about. I mean, sure. We yes. have that conversation around work. Hey, man, we love each other. You've been working a lot. But that wasn't what we were looking for. Yeah. There's yes. nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean I hate you. Right. It doesn't yeah. mean I'm not for you. I want things to be right, and you do too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it, when I find that you don't want right things is when I confront you on something, you go, yeah, I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you voted for me, so I'm right. Uh, to make you right. No. This means maybe both of us made a bad choice. Yes, <laughs> which happens a lot. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's good stuff. All right. We'll move and on. it was three minutes long. No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. No, we're trying to get shorter. So, no, it wasn't. <laughs> see if we were you can live in that delusion if you want. That's right. All right. Next question. Uh, this was sent to us this week, and uh, a common question that I've heard before. I think we'll be able to tackle this one pretty easily. Uh, it says we're saved by grace. Christ paid for our sins. Absolutely right. And so the question is, so what is the judgment in 2 Corinthians 5.10 all about? So I'll read the verse. This is the verse that they're referring to. Uh, Paul says, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Uh, We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. And so the person, I think, is asking, well, I thought my sins were paid for and I would not be judged for my sins. But now it says, they believe, this saying, I will be judged. So how do we reconcile that? 
Well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where to start on this. It's a, it's a, it's a good question. The it's person question. is asking yeah. a really good question, a yes. question that anybody that takes the words of Scripture seriously when mm-hmm. you come to that That's and right. other passages that also talk about judgment for sin mm-hmm. uh, on clearly believers that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would say to you a couple of things. I think at the last day we're all going to give an account. We are all... Everything I have uh, is given to me. It's temporary. So, therefore, I'm a steward of every moment of my life. And so everything good and bad that I do, I'm going to talk to Jesus about, hmm. if, which is a form of judgment. Yes. It is, yep. Now, if you, I take it you're probably wanting to know, is it the kind of judgment that sends me to hell? And mm. we tend to think of yeah. judgment means if you judge me, you're condemning me to hell. Well, you're right. Grace Grace covers that, but and this is probably not what you're saying, but there are people I've had ask this kind of thing. What I just because grace covers my sins does not mean that the things I don't do in life don't have consequences. Yes. Right. They just don't have heaven and hell consequences. Mm. But they have consequences mm-hmm. and I've never met a person that didn't already know that. Yeah. You can't consistently talk badly to your spouse and expect that doesn't have consequences. Mm -hmm. They may not divorce you, Hmm. but it probably is not the marriage that either of you agreed to be a part of. Yes. And just because they say they forgive you, it does not cancel the consequences of the fact that you won't control the way you talk. And I don't think... um we will in the end at the end of time when we stand before God and and this all takes place all of us saved or unsaved or you know all whatever terms you want to use we're going to feel regret and yeah, sure. and and the feel the sting of what sin has done to us we, it will be this aha moment where we all finally see with like Paul said, not through a glass darkly. We will see face-to-face. We'll see everything for what it is. And I think that will be the moment. We mourn over sin now in a very small way. I think on that day we will finally see how how detrimental sin has been to us and to this world mm-hmm. and to the people that we have come in contact with. And, yes, you'll be in heaven with God forever, and that will be an amazing, you know, have, you know, the new heaven and new earth is what I mean. But there will be that moment where we will all see and we will just go, ah, oh, we could have gotten it so much better. Right. Does is, that make sense? Is, oh, yeah, completely. You know? Is that passage also not the one that if we'd read the verses around it, that he says, so each one will receive the reward? Is that the part of the verse where it says, so each one will receive the rewards? I'm not sure if that's the exact chapter where and, it talks and, about And where that. he's talking about, so we'll all pass through the fire. And I think that's the one. It may become later. But anyway, I, I had a professor in college, you know, and C.S. Lewis alludes to this as well in one of his writings, that a part of what's happening in our life, even though we wind up going to heaven, is I'm building my capacity hmm. for what life will be like in eternity. That's right. And my professor would always talk about, you know, there's a part where Jesus says, uh, you, God will bless you, uh, your cup will be full and overrunning. Uh, what's mm-hmm. the old King James language? Uh, I can't think of it. Uh, anyway, uh, but he would use that. He said, what we're doing in our life with Christ is I'm developing the capacity of my cup. Mm-hmm. Right? He said, 
It only makes sense that when I get to heaven, I may have a teacup, and the Apostle Paul might have a grain elevator. <laughs> you know, yeah. he, he gets his full and overflowing, mm-hmm. and mine is a teacup that's full and overflowing. Mm-hmm. And I won't look at him and go, hmm, why yeah. didn't I get that? Yeah. All I'll see is, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm full. My, I am completely full. <laughs> I just, because the, the sin is I couldn't have stood the other. I just True. the sin shaped me in such a way that I couldn't have taken the other. Well, that's what uh, Dallas used to say. You know, you, everybody and everybody will be led into heaven that can stand. That it. can possibly stand. You know, it. so we'll we'll just be able to stand <laughs> a different capacity, I guess. Well, and I think in terms of the judgment seat here, and I think that word judgment, you know, the, the illustration I've of, often heard is we hear judgment, we think judge in terms of a, a legal courtroom where really his only standing is in and out, mm. right? Guilty or innocent. Those are really his only judgments. But that that originally in the language, the judgment seat was actually referring to more like an Olympic mm-hmm. trial kind of judgment where the judge is, hey, everyone who made it to the Olympics is doing fine. Mm-hmm. Like no one, All of y'all were Olympic runners. Right. <laughs> it's just judging – Mm-hmm. praise level, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. you're going, even if you got a one, their one is better than any of us running that race. Absolutely you know right. what I mean? So it's not a matter of that. And what it made me think of was we did a series a while ago, and actually in about four or five weeks we're going to have uh, a, another um, message about this where people who've had near-death experiences and have, have – Now we're going to actually have an expert talk to us about it again. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And people who've had these near-death experiences and have actually have experienced um, meeting Jesus and kind of this experience. They talk about one part of it is what they refer to as a life review. In fact, most of the people who've mm-hmm. had these near-death experiences have said they had some version of a life review, and what they talked about is that it's similar to this – what they can understand the judgment seat experience may be where God takes them through their whole life. And there was one person who talked about it that was very memorable to me. And he was actually an atheist at the time. He's now, um, he's now become a Christian and does a lot of speaking. On he's a pastor. Like right. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he talked about how when God took him through his, there were things in his life that he wanted to highlight for him. Like he was an artist and he was an art professor. And he talked about how, he was lived in Kentucky, and he won this Kentucky Artist Award, and there was a huge cash prize. It was a great moment. He kept asking Jesus, let's look at that moment, and Jesus kept telling him, that's not what mattered. Mm-hmm. That's not what mattered. You're missing the point. And he would take him to these moments, one where he had an interaction with his mother, and he said something that hurt her, but he didn't realize it, and we've all had those things, right? We yeah, said right. things to spouses or to kids or to whatever, and it was – Whatever it was inane to us, we didn't think anything. But the ripple, he saw the ripple effects of what those words did. So that was a negative thing. But then he had another experience where he said he took me back to when I was like five or six, and my younger sister was crying in her bed, and I went and held her. And the ripple effects of what that did in her development. And what he said was, and all of the people said this: what became clear in this judgment seat experience is. Jesus was showing me that all that really mattered was how I interacted with people. And every mm-hmm. big interaction or tiny interaction had ripple effects, mm-hmm. good and bad, mm-hmm. in people's lives. And he was that, that he's trying to show us, and this goes to your capacity thing, that all that's going to matter in heaven is us interacting with mm-hmm. God and with mm-hmm. people. And some of us may have a higher capacity for that because 
and you talked about Dallas. Dallas often talked about what we're doing on earth is training for reigning, mm-hmm. that I am training to reign with God over a new creation in a new mm-hmm. heaven. And some of us are going to be better trained than others of sure. us. Because I end up talking to a lot of people because I did youth stuff, and you talk to other people, and their main goal was, can we get them to make a decision? Because once I get <laughs> to make a decision at a young age, they'll be fine once they get to heaven. And I don't honestly even care to have a conversation about are they going to be fine once they get with just because they make one decision and do whatever. My question is, what is their experience going to be like? Because mm-hmm. if you can take a child and train them for 80 years, man, their capacity to train right. terrain is a totally different thing yeah. than some of us that took a lot longer to get it. And mm-hmm. so yeah. it's not a question of in and out. Yes, It's this other kind of judgment, which comes back to, I don't mm-hmm. think everyone can see the sign, but the sign's mm-hmm. right up here, love everyone always. Yeah. So. so I would just say, just to wrap this up, kind of put a bow on it to the person who asked, asked the question, um, and maybe this wasn't your thought on it, but I would just say to you, um, when you read about the judgment of Christians in the Bible, uh, don't read it as something to be feared Correct. or something to be dreaded. Um, use it as something to motivate you to f- follow closer to Jesus and to uh, follow his commands more because Every interaction you have means more than you realize, like you just said. Mm -hmm. And uh, once we move into from this life into eternity, uh, you'll see it exactly for what it is. Trust him now that that's true. Live that way. And uh, in the end, you have nothing to fear uh, because you are correct. You are saved by grace. Christ has paid for your sins. Now go live that out. So, All right. Good. Good. Let's talk a little bit uh, about Sunday. Um, Nathan brought the message for us, and uh, I wanted to just touch on that uh, idea you brought on Sunday about Jesus being king, yeah. and um, how. And I thought the most powerful part of your message to me was the part where you got real specific with us about, we say that we want Jesus to be king over these different parts of our lives, but however, here's why possibly that's not true uh, in, in practice. Um, and it was, there's a phrase that the three of us have bounced around for the past couple of weeks. Well, yeah. I don't know if we've said it on this podcast or not, but it's one that has intrigued me. Uh, I just want to unpack it a little bit. Um, and here was the phrase that we've sort of talked about is a lot of people in our culture, they want the kingdom, but not the mm-hmm. king. And then there's this other flip side of that where we said, but then there are some Christians who want the king, but they're not so interested in the kingdom yeah. and how that has also missed the mark of what Jesus came to bring as well. So somebody unpack that, that idea for just a moment. I, th- I think the, I think the, I had heard someone say that maybe four or five months ago and it stuck with me of wanting the kingdom without the king. And I think that idea is Jesus came to, to be king and to bring a kingdom, a way of life, a, a way to govern our lives and everything in our life. So we've talked about that a little already on the podcast, right? So in every area of my life, Jesus is king. Um, And part of that kingdom is is done through his commands. So things like loving your enemies. And Mm -hmm. I think even in... Even if you're not a believer, the idea that people would love their enemies is a great idea. You may not want to do it when it comes to the practicality, but we love – that's a great picture. It's a great sentiment. Yeah, yes. when you see it in a movie and it's like mm-hmm. someone forgave their enemy, yeah. you know, you're like, oh, that's such a great idea. And we want that. We want the peace of Jesus, right? Jesus promises mm-hmm. a peace 
that this world can't bring. And we're mm-hmm. like, oh, we want that. The justice that Jesus the brings. The justice. Right now we're dealing with a lot of that. Jesus yeah. says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring justice to the world. And all these different kind of ideas that come about, the fruit of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. But Jesus always tied the kingdom to him as king, mm-hmm. and not all of us want to live under the authority and the commands of him. I want the peace of Jesus. I just don't want to have to do what Jesus said to get there. Yes. And then there's a flip side of this, mm-hmm. which is, and often is referred to as like a salvation gospel, which mm-hmm. is, you know, Jesus preached a gospel of the kingdom. Salvation and the kingdom were tied for Jesus. Mm-hmm. But there's another version of this, which is, I just want Jesus to almost to our last question, mm-hmm. save me from my sins, but don't tell me what to do. Yes. Like save me from my sins. Save and me from the consequences. consequences. What I mean is save me from the consequences of my sins. That's right. I want to be able to continue to do them. Yes. I do not want any consequences. Yes. Absolutely. And so that's the king. I want that. But I'm not very interested in bringing about the justice of God mm-hmm. or the peace of God. It'd be great if they came, but if yeah. I have to be actively involved in that, that's not my main goal. And so mm-hmm. when we talk about that, it tends to be, and even among Christians, there tend to be two different views of that. Of There's a very view that's very high on Jesus saving me from my sins, yep. and then another, another part that's very high on kind of, the social implications and what and what that means for my personal life, but not mm-hmm. necessarily the sin part. Yep. And Jesus had those things tied together. Yes. Of of salvation is life in the kingdom mm-hmm. for Jesus. For Jesus, and vice versa, life in the kingdom means salvation. And mm-hmm. so you have these these two things because when you talk about safe from sin that is what jesus means he doesn't mean safe from the consequences of course you'll be safe from the consequences of your sin once he saved you from your sin well, yeah. as i have explained to people again i and i know this is almost dallas willardy for me when you when you're when you deal with it as a person of long-term recovery everybody initially wants to get done with whatever they're doing because consequences drove them to it. Right. Mm-hmm. If you could still use and still drink and still whatever you were doing that was out of control, the only reason it gets out of control is when the consequences get too high. Right. And what people and this is the hard part for some people in that is consequences are always a lag measure of a lead behavior. What I mean by that is you're doing a behavior and everybody that starts using at 14 or starts smoking at 12, it don't feel like you're addicted at all. (laughs) The lag of that is behind. Now, the other part of that is you can stop and the lag consequences continue for a while. Mm -hmm. So I always say like, you know, we have lots of people who are in that place. They're beginning their road to recovery and they're stacking days and their family has said, you can't, you can't be around us while you're in this. They put boundaries. And when they begin to have been sober long enough from whatever, they re-engage with their family. They want their family to have ended all consequences Mm. of 20 10, five years of bad behavior, and I always have to say to them, look, man, you got to give them time to mm-hmm. catch up to what's true in your life. Yeah. And so the way I say it is when, Jesus, when, when Paul says, and he's just stating what Jesus had made clear, you reap what you sow, mm. that's good and bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It, when, when I sow a seed, forgiveness for sowing the seed is an eternal thing. Mm-hmm. Right. But the seed will bear fruit, and I will have to eat every piece of bad fruit <laughs> that I planted. Yes. yes. And if I'm willing, 
while I'm eating bad fruit to plant good fruit, one day I will have a really good harvest in my life, but I have to plant it while I'm eating really bad fruit. That's the king in the kingdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some people just want forgiveness from the king. Other people want to have good fruit, mm-hmm. but they do not want to do it the way the king said to do it. Yeah. That's what I find in our culture yeah. is it's, I want these results, but I want to determine how to get these results, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. why we always mess it up. Mm-hmm. Other people go, I want you to live under the lordship of Jesus, but I'm okay that these results, I don't want to apply that over here in this area because it doesn't really impact me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing pretty well financially. I don't care about what's happening to the poor mm-hmm. who might be being treated unjustly. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm white. I don't care about what's happening with people that are black and brown. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, we, and, we, and we divorce these things that Jesus, like you said, integrated into, into what it means to live in the kingdom, but we've somehow figured out a way we've expertly done this as Christians of figuring out a way to say that I'm a Christian or I'm following Jesus. And yet I don't do anything that he said. And that that's been the tragedy that I've seen is, and I've even seen this preached by preachers who've said, if you just walk this aisle and pray this prayer and, and get your, it wouldn't call it this, but it's basically fire insurance. Yeah. <laughs> then, then, you know, I don't want you to go out and live any way that you want, but, Technically, you can because Jesus promised he'll take you to heaven and you're sealed for eternity, and yet go out and and do whatever you want. Nobody would say it that way, but that's how we treat it. Well, and I think it comes down to both sides. You know, we want the kingdom without the king, want the king without the kingdom, and those are good, like, ways of talking about it, but if we're honest, neither side wants a king, and that's what it cuts mm, down to. That's right. They don't really yeah. want the king without the kingdom. They want a savior without the king, without that's the kingdom, right. mm-hmm. and this side wants the kingdom just without the king. That yeah. A king implies authority, and, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't matter if you're American and living, you know, without a king or you live in a monarchy. Nobody wants anyone to have authority but mm-hmm. me. I'm okay with you pretending like you have authority, and I'm okay mm-hmm. with you having little bits of authority, but when it comes to my life, I'm the one who gets to kind of determine that and I think by and large that's where we fail to see things because even Jesus has those kind of conversations with people which should irk you a little bit make you wrestle with a little bit when Jesus gets and he starts talking about how we treat the least of these Mm -hmm. and how we treat people who are poor or in prison or in these things and he says I'm gonna talk to the people who didn't do that and say away from me yeah and those and some of those people were people who called me Lord Lord and I'm gonna send them away and then that's where every when you want to get down into it and then you go (laughs) wait a second save by you know and you get all these conversations but Jesus was okay saying these things are tied together somehow Mm -hmm. these things are tied together and it's and it's difficult for us because we don't want to wrestle with part of me coming to Jesus and really the central part of it is me admitting you are king mm. me saying i need a savior should also be accompanied by i need your authority and i loved in that prayer when uh, in person leah read it online adrian read it where he said i God, we acknowledge we need you not only for your forgiveness, but for mm-hmm. your authority. The yeah. reason I need your forgiveness is because I didn't live under your authority. Yes. Had I lived under your authority, I wouldn't need forgiveness because I would yeah. have done what you said to do. 
I would be blameless before you. You now have to make me blameless because mm-hmm. I have blame, <laughs> you know. And yeah. so I think that's the part of it is that there does come this point that maybe I can live under this. And, you know, we're talking to my girls a lot these days about all different kinds of stuff. And they've only been in our house for about a year. And they said something about, so when we die, we get to go be with Jesus. And I said, anybody who wants to be with Jesus can be with Jesus, mm. which leads to the natural question. Well, who wouldn't want to be with Jesus? Who wouldn't want to be? I said, there are a lot of people who would like to be in heaven, but don't want to be with Jesus Mm -hmm. or their idea of heaven. And Jesus understands that's not fair to you Mm. because you have a... you have an idea in mind of what you think heaven is. Heaven is Jesus. Salvation is Jesus. Mm-hmm. It is coming to Jesus. And so when I miss that, when I think salvation is somehow not really t- like Jesus gives it to me, but somehow I'm going to be in heaven and Jesus is going to like pop in occasionally like Kramer. Like he's just going <laughs> to pop in the door and be like, I'm just coming over to do something wacky and I'm heading back out to do my own thing. And we go, oh, Jesus. Yeah, like that's, yeah. I think that's how a lot of, because that's how you've lived your entire life on earth. I do my own thing occasionally jesus pops in yeah. on sunday to give me communion and then yeah. i then he leaves or when i really need him i, need him. I right. mean i can call him and he'll show up baby mm-hmm. right but when i realize jesus is heaven that heaven yes. is jesus fully with me and not that jesus isn't with you now but in a way that he is not fully present with you now there is a fullness that is going to come of the kingdom yeah and and when you when you live underneath it reminds me of uh Go back to your Old Testament, and it's when the Israelites they come to, they they come to God and they say, "We want a king," right? And He's like, "Well, you are. I am your king. You're living underneath my authority, and it's a good thing that you are." No, we want a king, and He's like, "Well, you can go have that king, but you ain't gonna like him." Yeah. And they go, "No, we still want the king." So He's okay. You can have him, and they go over and they start getting earthly kings, and they go, "Oh no, we don't like the tyranny." underneath this and here comes Jesus along and he says live under my authority and here's what I'll give you uh, your burdens will be light yep. your yoke will be easy you'll have rest for your soul and if you'll just be under my authority no we don't want that authority, authority that scares either. me I want to live over here underneath the authority of this thing okay you can go over there and do that but I'm telling you my authority is easy and it's light and it's where life is found and until you experience that you You'll you'll have that. I'm not sure I want because authority scares us, right? We're so we think authority is limiting and it's oppressive. And Jesus says, "No, no, not not in my kingdom, right? You make me king, and you'll have something different." But we run from that, yeah, and then wind up in worse shape before. Don't you, know? you think it's funny when you when you read the the stories of Jesus bringing all of this to people in the Gospels, and he he brings it to the the Jewish leaders at the time, and he he talks in terms of. Um, you, you're slaves, he says at one point. They say, we, we're, we've never been slaves. One, they forget that the central part of their story is they were, they slaves, were slaves for hundreds of years. and Several times. Yes, Going back. Even currently living in the society they lived in, they were barely above yeah, slaves. Exactly. I mean, That's the right. Romans had all authority over them. So there's almost this like ironic comedy of Jesus going, you've been made slaves. And they go, we're not slaves. What are you talking about? And I think about... Now, bring it into kind of the realm of politics, how many of us go, I don't want a king. I don't want anyone to have authority mm-hmm. over me. Yeah. But when you blindly sell yourself to a party 
or to a candidate and mm. you say, I'm just going to support whatever they do because they're on my side of the fight, you have sold yourself sold to yourself. that party. Yeah. and Because you know there are – and we've talked about this the whole time. You know there are things you don't personally agree with, but you go, they're at least going to get me what I want. I think, maybe, I you don't hope. know, yeah. but I hope they're going to get me what I want. And you have – and so it's like Jesus comes in and goes, hey, let me be king. We go, we can't just mm. blindly give our authority to a mm. guy who's been nothing good to, but good to us. You know, <laughs> it, you know so – that that's the way it feels it is. to us is we th- we think I don't want to live under anyone's authority, not realizing we are constantly under the authority. Well, you're going yes. to you, yes. that. That's not an option. Right. Yes. Living under no one's authority is is a, a slavery of of its own. Honestly, right. it's an illusion. And people yes. who truly live without authority, we either lock them up or put them in insane asylum. Absolutely. People who. And who, then they're who, under someone else's they're authority. Under, then they're ultimately, but there is no one that doesn't have authority over That's right. right. And you don't always get to choose it. Mm-hmm. Yes. But Jesus a- gives you the option here of saying, you can choose to live in a kingdom where you know fully who the person in authority is. Mm-hmm. I've, I've ha- I'm sure y'all are having these conversations constantly of our current election of people going, I don't, I don't really like this guy, but I feel like i got to vote for him because I certainly don't like this guy. Both, both, uh, both are just... You know, the lesser of two evils, or I've had this conversation before. Someone goes, you know, it's just a necessary evil. And I said, when did evil become necessary? (laughs) When did that become like, you're like, you know, Jesus said sometimes you got to do some evil. You know, got to get your hands dirty. But there's this idea of I'm locked into Mm -hmm. this person. Whereas Jesus, when you look at him and you say, I'm going to submit to his authority. Yeah. You know fully what you're getting. Mm-hmm. You're getting someone who's willing to die for not just you, to die for you when you were his enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you were on the opposing party, he said, you're worth it. I had somebody come up to me on Sunday, and they said this phrase to me. They said, now, I need you to help me because I know there is coming a day in our country when good people are going to have to do bad things. And then they wanted to ask me a question. I said, well, can I just go back to your first statement? Sure. I said, I'm not sure that you and I are in agreement on that very first assumption. I said, I'm not, I'm not sure that I believe that that is the only option, that there must come a time when good people must do bad things in order for good things to come about. I said, I, I think you need to wrestle with that assumption. Exactly. And, and he walked away and he said, okay, I, I guess I will. I said, I, I think you're asking some good questions, but I think that's where you need the to The one start. you weren't asking is the most is important one. the most important one. question. Your assumption that – yeah. Because when I say to people, they'll say things like that, and I'll do the same kind of thing. I'll say, hey, your initial question is the wrong question. Yeah. Uh, if you just say, hey, there came a day when Jesus had to do a really bad thing. Right. <laughs> well, so, and they, Yeah, and the person eventually said to me, says, well, what am I supposed to do in this world, become a martyr? And I said, maybe. The one you followed did. Yeah. So maybe you do. Well, and certainly when <laughs> the he The people was- who ultimately changed Western society were – we're all martyrs. Yes. The people that created the society you live in that gave you the right to think you had the freedom to do whatever you want, that society did not exist until a whole bunch of people in the name of Jesus died mm-hmm. <laughs> for yes. that to happen. And they didn't die for a country. They died for the fact that every person had human dignity. Mm-hmm. Well, and I wonder, too, you know, you think about this idea of there's going to come a time when, when good people are going to have to do bad things. And I think the disciples certainly had that as a mentality of their own because you, you hear that even in their conversations. You know, we're, we're gearing up. They always felt like we're gearing up for something. And then Jesus comes. The time when 
that would be the case, right, mm-hmm. where the good person got to do a bad thing, Jesus getting taken, and Peter, who's like the impulsive dude, who's like, mm-hmm. I'm just ready to – if you had to tell – if I had to Enneagram the, the – the, Peter is totally an eight. He's just <laughs> jumping out into the thing like, well, I'll think about this. You know, the, the thing about eights I'm going to take control. Yes. Yeah. Eights are <laughs> all <laughs> fire, fire, ready, aim. They are like, let's get – And now the focus is on me. That's right. <laughs> He's an eight. That's right. So I think, you know, Peter jumps into it, lops a dude's ear off, which I don't know if that was his original goal. But once again, he wasn't oh, aiming no, he's first. Trying to, that dude was trying to cut his head off. Yeah, I think he was trying to go for the <laughs> miss. Head, miss he, it. he was not a good swordsman. No one is ever, no one's ever aiming for the ear. Fisherman but, and sword. He's like, this is good. like casting a rod, ain't it? <laughs> well, and even when they're about, to, they're about to leave and Jesus uses an analogy of swords and talks about this, and he's not even talking about it, they go – well, there's 12 of us, and we only got two swords. And he's like, yeah, that's enough. You're missing the point. Like, that's why two you for 12, totally that's, a good, that's a good number. Because he's moments away, and if we believe Jesus, who he knows the whole Roman group yes. is coming, and they say, we got two swords. Oh, okay, yeah, whatever. that'll be Wait. more than enough, guys. I'm only going to have to do one ear anyway. That's right. <laughs> so Peter the other guy with the sword is not going to ever use it anyway. <laughs> and I think, I wonder, too, if Jesus in that moment, you know, he's – Lowest of lows. You're about to get taken. You know what the whole thing's going to happen. You're one of, one of the guys you love most has just betrayed you. And you know we've all done the discipleship program. You get this point. You're about to launch these guys out. We've all had this moment where, like, moments before, like a couple days before, you start going, "Uh oh, maybe they didn't get anything I taught them." You know all that thing. And I think Jesus is looking. One of them's just betrayed him. The other dude took the message. Start chopping ears off. Yeah. And I think Jesus goes, "Oh, Peter, come on. Like this is." Because he even says, that's not what we're doing. And then he mm-hmm. goes before Pilate and says, hey, if I was a kingdom of this world, mm-hmm. my, my followers would come. You don't think I could get these dudes to come in here and fight you guys? And he says, do you not think I could have called a whole legion of angels yeah. down? Yes. I mean, I'm really who you say I am. Yes. You don't think the angels would have obeyed me? And he says, my kingdom's not of this world. And so I think when we get into this place of, is there coming a time where good people are going to be forced to do bad things? Not according to Jesus. According to Jesus, we're going to find ourselves in places where they're, and he talked about, they're going to kick you out of synagogues, meaning they're going to shun you from every part of public life, right? They're even going to kill you and they're going to say they're doing something righteous. But in the truest reality, which is the reality of the kingdom of God, and we see this in the book of Revelation, right? There's this, there's this place where all the souls of the people who have been mm-hmm. martyred, they hold them up. And they're saying, they're holding everything up. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are doing – they're the ones laying the foundation of this whole thing. And you see – and I think in John, who writes the book of Revelation, he's trying to show all the people at this time – I know this feels like it's the weakest strategy because in the eyes of this world, that no one starts a rebellion. No one starts a government by going, here's what we're going to do. We're going to know all the guys. We're going to go up against an army. We're going to say, kill us if you want to. Lay down our guns and stand there and let them kill. No, right. everyone's like, that's a great strategy. Yeah. I mean, God, if, if that's how you want to start a country, <laughs> that's fine. It ain't going to work. But yeah. Jesus goes, Jesus did it. Yeah, that's how we're doing an eternal kingdom. Well, and and yet, even though we say that, I could take you to points in history that people, not even in the name of Jesus, occasionally people fall into the strategy of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So there's a memorable point in my life at Tiananmen Square, and there's the one guy in the tank. Mm -hmm. Yes. It changed things in that whole, and here's a guy that goes, "Uh, I don't think I can stand against this tank, but I'm going to stand here anyway. Yeah. Well, and it became a defining kind of thing. We see Martin Luther King mm-hmm. and his people in this country go, we're just going to let them, we're, we're going to intentionally let them hurt us. us. Mm-hmm. We're, as 
John Lewis, you know, one of our last heroes to go from that era, said, there's good trouble. There's good trouble. So there may come a time where good people who have never had to disobey their government, sir, if that's what you mean, where good people will have to intentionally disobey their government, yes. That day may be coming for some of us, but not that we're going to have to do bad things in the eyes of King Jesus to go back to our original thing. There may be things that you never thought you would have to do that you may have to do. And other people who you thought were allies of yours in the name of Jesus may soon be your enemies because you did what they thought was a bad thing. Some of that may be happening around here fairly soon. Maybe. <laughs> I hate to give that a little. Well, you know, I think when you talk. I'm sorry. I, I'm okay. sorry. I think to bring us back, I think to, the, uh, to the, the good trouble part, which I think is such a, you know, John Lewis, also a believer, also oh, right, yeah. trained, was wanted to be in, uh, wanted to be a pastor, wanted to be a pastor, right? You know, understands there's a good kind of trouble, and that, like you said, it might be bad in the eyes of this world, in the sense of once again, there may be things. I think because that is a very American kind of idea of good people having to do bad things. Of there are times we're just going to have to gang up and and take control and do it for ourselves. That's part of kind of our American idea and even our own like myth building of ourselves of good people are going to have to stand up and do bad things so in the eyes of this world that's a great strategy that eventually you got to do things to 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 for your country or for your side of the fight ends justify the means ends will justify the means we'll deal with that later although we've been dealing with that for for a little while in our country and now we're going maybe not so but in the eyes of the kingdom, there is this sense of, once again, Jesus shaming the powers of this world that he goes, you did what you thought was—I mean, that was their strategy. Crucifixion was the Romans' most brutal way to win. They're like, this is our last resort. Now, it was often their first resort, too, but yeah. this was the way they knew. If you want to put down a rebellion, you just crucify all the a people. A whole bunch of them. And so I wonder often, you know, I think about in Acts when— uh, Peter and John are called before the same people who just killed Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, guys, do you know what we can do to you if you don't? And I wonder, almost thinking in the terms of shame, if Peter and John, I'm not saying they weren't scared. I'm sure they had all those things. Yeah. If there wasn't a little smirk and chuckle to their face of going, "We've the reason we're here is because we're preaching that you killed Jesus mm-hmm. and God raised him, and your threat is... Kill. crucify us like we're saying we follow the guy who I can think raise you us should from... be thinking do you know what we can do yes exactly. <laughs> i wonder if there's this smirk to them and going you may win the battle but the war is going to be won because we're not going to fight you the goal mm-hmm. is not to fight you and i think that's a totally different mentality than the kingdom of this world when you talk about good trouble and that is good trouble because mm-hmm. it is totally different yeah. it is totally different yeah that's right. good sunday good stuff. So uh, we got two more weeks to go. Two more two weeks, weeks, and then we're done with this. Some of you are saying, thank goodness. Well, you <laughs> will after the next two Don't weeks. be too quick. We still got two more weeks. <laughs> you wish Excited. we only had four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think so. So we're, we'll leave it at that. Don't miss Sunday. Don't Please. miss yes, online. online if for nothing person. else, just to see what we think is going to be so hard. Yes. yes. We'll just leave it at we'll that. We'll leave it at that. All right, you guys have a great week. We'll see you again.